the faraway reading for any of my work would give you the impression that everything is perfect, every I is dotted, every T is crossed, and there is not a single blemish on the page. But when you get closer, you can see that there's erasing, there's smudges, there's overdrawn lines, there's marker that's bled into places where it shouldn't have bled into, or the same thing with watercolor. And I think that that's I think for a viewer and I think for me, it becomes a richer drawing because of it. Otherwise, I mean, you might as well just have a computer make it. Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 151st episode, I'm excited to be joined by Nick Neighbor from New York. He is an artist and also the East Coast editor of The Coastal Post, which is a blog that explores emerging artist studio practice. So, again, very excited to have him on. His work, of course, explores architecture, space, and place, and that'll be coming up shortly, so please stay tuned for that. I would like to encourage new listeners, check out the other episodes on Studio Break. Again, there's a large archive. Each of the episodes have images as well as links and these lengthy interviews exploring studio practice. So please check them all out. Again, you can find links to the iTunes store and subscribe there so you can always get your new episodes of Studio Break. And you can also find us in a number of social media sites. So please follow our Facebook page. Again, we do provide updates of some of the new episodes as well as opportunities, things like that. So please like it. You can also find us in Tumblr. So that's studio-break.tumblr. So follow us there. And then lastly, you can send all your tweets to at Studio Break. So please go ahead and say hello on Twitter. With that out of the way, here's our interview with Nick. Stay tuned. Welcome to Studio Break, Nick Neighbor. How are you? I'm doing well, and how are you? I am excellent. Again, it's it's so great to just have you on and, and so easily on. Um, this has been such a painless process. Uh, I should have done it sooner. Um, <laughs> but um, I guess just to kind of make sure that we kind of have a little bit of a background, too. I mean, we start out there, but you're currently uh, living in, in New York. Any particular part of New York you live in? Yes. um, I was in Brooklyn when I was in graduate school, um, and now I'm living uh, in Staten Island in a a studio, or I'm living in an apartment that my studio is in. And so are you a uh, New York native? It seems that you had some experiences in Wisconsin. Did you start there and kind of migrate out towards uh, the coast then, or...? Uh, so I grew up in Wisconsin and I went to undergrad at, uh, the Peck School of the Arts at the University of Wisconsin, Milwaukee. And then I moved out here in 2010 to go to graduate school at Pratt. And I'm curious, especially just kind of looking over, you know, your work, there's so many kind of geometric and kind of like, it seems very kind of planned out methodical kind of work. Is, uh, that something that you can kind of look back on as maybe like a kid? Is that something that you were interested in at the time? Were you like always kind of like drawing things or was it, it's so weird cause it can be so different, right? Yeah. I mean, as a child, I definitely, I drew quite a bit and I, uh, was very interested in the architecture of Frank Lloyd Wright when I was growing up being from Wisconsin. There's a lot of his architecture around. So yeah, I mean, I definitely did do a lot of drawing. And when I first went to university, 
I thought that I was going to be an architect. So, well, cause I, th- I think about that as something too, like, I don't know the kind of things that you think about in terms of like what you'll start at and I guess where you're kind of like wind up and you kind of see how that path kind of unfolds, mm-hmm. you know, did you, did you have a lot of art classes and experiences that like growing up in terms of like high school formal classes, like, you know, 2d and all that stuff or, Yeah, uh, the public school that I went to had an excellent art program, elementary through high school. And uh, it was there that I really, probably more in high school, where I really came into my own and started to explore with a lot of different medias that then uh, took me into uh, undergrad. Were you kind of always like detail-oriented, or is that something that has kind of, again, kind of evolved just from working so long? I think it it was if it was something that was of interest to me, then I would pe- spend the time doing it. If it wasn't of interest to me, then I didn't spend time doing it. So <laughs> sure, I you know I was really interested in in history in general, and I was really interested in literature and and the, mostly I mean pretty much the humanities where you know math, gym, you know the other things I didn't really care about. Uh, and art was obviously one of the most important ones. I'm curious then, too. I mean, like in terms of where you grew up in Wisconsin, was it kind of really like an entirely different experience, I'm sure, from what you're where you're living now? But I mean, was that something that kind of impacted anything in terms of like what you're interested in? I mean, just kind of being, I guess, a Midwesterner and, and again, maybe something that only landscape artists like myself kind of think of. I don't know. I mean, I I feel like I'm very affected by the places that I live. And I think that living where I did in Wisconsin, where I grew up, it was a very uh, rural place. It was about 45 miles southwest of Milwaukee. And I think what it really did for me was it gave me this sense of uh, being alone, not being alone, but being with myself and being alone with my thoughts and being able to have the time to meditate on various things, not just art, but, uh, reading and, and that sort of stuff. And then, you know, moving to Milwaukee, I was, I was super affected by a lot of burnt out buildings and abandoned places. And that was the architecture of Milwaukee. And then when you come to New York, it's a place that's it's super busy, but then there's also this history that happens. Specifically, I was looking at Brooklyn when I was in graduate school, and now I'm looking more specifically at Manhattan because I, I work in Manhattan. And so everything, it all permeates, I think, and I sketch all of those things as I, as I live them, I guess. Yeah, I I think that makes sense. I think it's certainly kind of interesting into that kind of process or, you know, because I, I, again, just know that artists kind of process things uh, maybe in their own way or maybe in like a different timeline, too. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I guess to kind of like transition, I guess, towards some of those undergraduate experiences, I mean, was was you kind of said that like you kind of knew like in high school that was something that you wanted to do. You maybe kind of went into undergraduate thinking architecture. Uh, what what changed that? Maybe architecture. I, I don't know what the first architecture class you take is. I was, of course, going to say, you know, architecture 101, right? <laughs> sure. So the the first classes that I had, the first studio that I had was, was called Architecture 310. And when I was in that class, I really realized that 
I don't, I don't really give a damn about how the building stays together. I'm more interested in the way <laughs> it manifests itself. And I'm interested in the way that people use space, but also the ideas behind why we build specific spaces. And when I was in that studio, I loved doing the drawing and I realized that, you know, I would make a lousy architect because I didn't care about the tectonics of the building. It didn't matter to me. So then I switched into fine art um, where I felt much more at home. And I, I actually, I continued taking architecture classes. I have a minor in history and theory because that was the part of, that is the part of architecture that I mostly mostly invested in and mostly interested in. Well, and I'm curious too, like just, you know, kind of talking about that experience growing up in kind of a rural area. I mean, is, is that the part that is especially like appealing to you in terms of, you know, exploring it in terms of like different locations and I don't know, just different ways that cities are laid out or I don't know. Could you kind of unpack that a little bit? Sure. Sure. I think the thing that for, for me is really interesting, and I can speak, I mean, I can speak about what I'm doing now, or I can speak about when I was living in Brooklyn, it's, it's more or less the same, is, you know, we, we inhabit architecture. And I think the thing that is interesting to me is the way that people create spaces, create their own spaces. So in Brooklyn specifically, it's huge. There are lots of brownstones. And for me, it was most interesting to look at those brownstones at twilight. And I did a bunch of paintings of, of facades because I was interested in the fact that you saw this building, but you didn't really know what was going on inside if you saw it during the day. But at twilight, the lights would come on and you would be able to see the space and you were also able to really see um, the architecture of the, of the exterior. And it, it became a really interesting metaphor, I think, for me as this idea of people wearing facades and not being able to penetrate um, penetrate past the surface. Um, and now I'm really interested in the way, yes, I'm interested in the way that the city is laid out, but I'm also really interested in the way that um, New York is, is not a pretty city, I don't think. It's a very utilitarian city where I feel like Chicago or maybe San Francisco are really beautiful cities. They care about the architecture where... New York is just built because, you know, we need another bank or we need another office building. <laughs> and it becomes this bastardization of, you know, high modernism, you know, a la Mise or um, Louis Kahn or somebody like that, you know, that have aspirations for beautiful buildings. And we're, we, we end up with this horrible corporate architecture that just keeps getting built and built and built. So that's kind of a roundabout way of answering your question, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I guess I'm curious too, like in terms of like unpacking it and I guess your kind of undergraduate years, is that something that you kind of look back at as being something that's kind of present? I mean, were you, I guess, kind of working from like a representational mode? Was that something that was kind of involved in those years or was it always kind of more, I guess, kind of that kind of uh, formal, you know, design. Again, I'm just always curious where people start and how that, how those transitions uh, take place. Sure. I mean, I would say that I really, I hit my stride probably late sophomore and then into junior year with, with more work that I would say would be like more mature undergraduate work. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I was, 
not specifically interested in like one point perspective, but I, I was interested in representing places in undergrad, well, a specific place in undergrad I was interested in representing. There was a uh, tannery that had been abandoned since the 90s, and I did an independent study in the architecture department. And I ended up doing a, a massive project with this tannery where I photographed it and I measured it and then I drew plans for it and then I did axonometrics of it and then I, it just like snowballed into multiple, multiple projects. So I would say that all of my work, even now, is coming from a, res- a representative place. Like it's, it's from the real world. Like everything that I draw is things that I see that become like a bastardization in my sketchbook and then on the page. So I, I mean, I guess definitely looking at one point, two point perspective was big, but I think more architecture drawing was, was, was where my influences were coming from because of the strangeness of, of a forced perspective or parallel perspective that you probably, you don't really learn in art school. It's more of an architecture language. I'm curious then too. I mean, have you always kind of been, I guess, interested in terms of like kind of working in drawing and sketching as opposed to like taking photographs or working from photographs? Uh, There was a long period of time when I worked, uh, I made photographs as art, but I don't use photographs to make art. Uh, For me, it's more about the memory of something. Mm -hmm. I don't sketch when I see something. I, I sketch what I remember. So I always have a sketchbook with me. And, you know, when I'm on the subway or I'm on the ferry or whatever, I will sketch things that I saw during the day or things that I thought were really weird or specific. And then what happens is they start to come together and they create uh, different sorts of drawings or different sorts of watercolors or or whatever. Even though we'll snake forward into, you know, especially more current work, I'm just kind of curious too, were there any kind of particular artists early on that you really kind of felt a, an affinity towards in terms of influencing your work or, or the things that you saw possible in art? Sure. Are you talking specifically about undergrad or just... Yeah, kind of those earlier years in undergraduate as you're kind of really starting to hone in on the things that you're really invested in and then continuing that in graduate school. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think for sure I was I was looking at a lot of Edward Hopper because I was at that time doing uh, oil paintings. And I thought Edward Hopper was really great at creating a sense of space, but also using architecture to create a mood. I also really, I still really, I mean, I still really love his work and I still, um, I still look at him. I think also Luis Nevelson is somebody that I really, I really looked at a lot too, because I was making, I was not making sculpture, but I was interested in the way that she rationalized places or rationalized in sculpture. So I looked at her a lot uh, you're really testing my my memory here. I'm trying to look at my bookshelf and see if I have anything from undergrad. I think, you know, I think for like drawers, I was really into Julie Morettu and her early work when she actually made the work. I think, you know, she was an example of somebody that was making really incredible work when she started and, you know, super obsessive and super you know, there was a lot of things going on in that work. So I would say that those three were probably the ones that I was most interested in. And then also 
uh, Guillermo Quick uh, was somebody else that I was I was looking at a lot. And so I, I'm especially curious what what led you to uh, to New York. I mean, was there any kind of you know pre visit or anything else like that in terms of deciding like I want to relocate out here? Did you just want to kind of be in the center of the world since you had kind of started out maybe? I don't know. I mean, Milwaukee is a city, right? Chicago is a city, but it's not like New York, right? It has that kind of cachet. Yeah, I think I I had been visiting New York since I was about 18 years old. I had a cousin that lived here, and I was visiting probably every every summer, every, every other summer. And I think for me, the realization was that, you know, Milwaukee was a really wonderful city for me when I was an undergrad, and I really... I really relished the time that I had there, but for me, it was becoming um, somewhat stifling because at the time that I was there, the art scene was small. And the for me, I I go to museums probably at least twice a week. And you know, Milwaukee is great, but it has one major museum and then it has a couple of smaller museums. So once you've seen those, you're pretty much set for four to six months Mm -hmm. and not much changes. And also I think the other thing for me was that the gallery life of New York was incredible to, to be able to walk in Chelsea and see Roy Lichtenstein or, you see a Picasso show that are museum quality. It's something that you're not going to get anywhere else, anywhere else, I think maybe in the world. Uh, So those were some major things. And then when I came out to look at graduate schools, it just seemed like for me, it was the right choice to to be here. Again, kind of fill us in on that. So where did you start? And, you know, was it again, something where you kind of came in where they, you know, of course, want you to shake everything up? Or what was that kind of initial start like? Coming into graduate school, the first semester of graduate school was, I mean, it's difficult because especially as somebody that's coming to a place that he doesn't know anybody, you know, there's that aspect of it. And then it's also, I came right after I went to undergrad. I didn't take a break. So I I was making... I was making a lot of work in undergrad and I had a lot of people when I was an undergrad that said, you know, you, you can take a break, but they had said to me that they thought that it wouldn't be beneficial for me because I was just at a point where the work that I was making was at a level that needed to continue getting better. So once I got to graduate school, I had a lot of really great professors my first, my first year and my first, my first semester. And it's tough to make work when you move and it's tough to make work when you are trying to shed some of the stuff that you did in undergrad, but also stay true to what you're making. So, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the first semester was making a lot of crap work and making a lot of work that was, that were failures. But I think the thing that you realize in graduate school is that not every artwork is, is going to be a finished piece or is going to be a masterwork or whatever that you have to work through, you know, you have to work through it to get to a place where you're making work that is, you know, you think is good and you feel comfortable showing. Um, So I would say, you know, for the first semester, I was making a lot of bad work. Kind of give us a, a idea of the kind of things that you were doing at the time. Was it kind of this formal, kind of like painting and drawing, um, a lot of maybe somewhat similar to what you're doing now or a lot different or? 
I would say that it was much more representational. I was living in Bed-Stuy, and there was a house that I became somewhat obsessed with that was on my block that was this house that totally didn't look like it should be in this neighborhood because the rest of the neighborhood was like brownstones and like really beautiful buildings. And this was like a strange looking colonial house that was like a two floor. It looked like it belonged in the Midwest, to be honest. And the other thing that I was really interested in were the project buildings because it was something that I had never really noticed when I had visited. And then I walked by a project built, I think it's called the Lafayette Gardens. I would walk past that every day. And then it just started, then I just started thinking a lot about like, what is the idea of home? Like, there's this building on my block that is the typical American home, the two-story colonial. And then for a lot of people, you know, a project building is a home or a giant apartment complex is a home. So I started making pretty big drawings. I think they were around five feet by five feet and they were diptychs. And I would draw, you know, I would draw one of the project buildings and then next to it, I would draw a scale colonial, that scale, that house, I would draw that house next to it. And one of them would be fully detailed and the house would be painted in black ink. And then I would do the other side of the diptych and the project building would be completely black ink. And then the colonial home would be completely um, drawn to detail and to scale. Uh, so I did a lot of that sort of thing. I started focusing on buildings in the neighborhood and I was just drawing like the facades to scale. That was pretty much what I did for the first semester of graduate school. Well, and it's interesting too, to think about the way that, you know, you kind of describe, you know, that home is different for everyone else. And so it's interesting to think about these, I guess, different pieces kind of relating to each other, um, especially like in terms of maybe how finished they are or how detailed they are, the way that you're just describing that. Mm -hmm. And, and so, I mean, were, were these also kind of like then turning into like installations or is that again, something that kind of came about through kind of continuing these thoughts, this process? Because some of them seem very large, you know, like big wall interior drawings, some of the, I think, the ones in the construction area of your website. Yeah, the construction started um, in the second year, the first semester of the second year. Um, so I would say that after that first semester, I started, I started looking more at different artists and I started I just started making a lot more work. I think for, a, you know, in that first semester, I was so not sure what I was doing and I was, you know, piddly farting around and not, I was just not making enough work. And so when I started making a lot more work and doing like, you know, 15 minute drawings and just like a bunch of different stuff, that's when I started, started making those construction drawings as I had done, uh, you know, like a five minute drawing for like 30 minute interval where I would do like five minute drawings and then I would just throw them on the floor and keep going. And then I saw something that I liked in one of them and I started going with it. And then I, I started making those construction works. And then I had done my thesis show in February, which was early. So basically I had all of this extra time to make whatever I wanted. And I had been thinking for a while I really want to make a wall drawing in my studio and I just didn't have the time or the space to do it when I was preparing for my grad show because I had to have the paintings on the walls for crits and I couldn't, I couldn't accommodate a wall drawing. So then I finally was able to do the wall drawing, uh, the first wall drawing in the studio and to see the scale of that in comparison to the drawing, I think that really helped 
we realize what the what what drawing does if it's in relation to our scale, but then also what it does when it's on paper. And I think that's something that I'm grappling with now still. Well, and that's something that brings up, I guess, another, you know, main interest in terms of just the relationship between drawing and painting. Um, how do you see these, these as, as different, like in terms of, do you work through the bodies of work differently in terms of if you're going to work on a drawing versus a painting? And I noticed that like scale is something that might change a little bit, but. For me right now, painting has, I have no interest in painting. I've never really had any interest in painting. I don't, I don't really like painting. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I don't personally like making painting, I guess I should say, is that, um, I think when I was in graduate school, it made sense to make the paintings that I made in graduate school because they had to be painted. They couldn't be drawings. And I think that's another thing is like really realizing like what, what you're making, like what media does it need? What surface should it be on? And, you know, those paintings, the facade paintings had to be paintings. They couldn't be drawings where like these construction drawings or um, the structures or any of those, those types of, uh, of drawings have to be drawings. There's no other, media that I, that I can think of that they can be. And I think that for me, I've always really identified as a drawer because I, there's something for me in the making of a drawing that is specifically really meditative, but I also like nothing that I, nothing that I make is ever planned. It just happens on the page. It looks like it's planned, but it's not. Well, and it's interesting to hear you say that. So I, I guess to kind of maybe put us in the head like of of you as you're kind of getting ready to work on one of these, is it something where you have like maybe a bunch of these kind of sketches and you're just kind of using them as reference to kind of work on something? Or, you know, you talked a little bit earlier about kind of like using a specific memory of an instance to kind of, to kind of get back to it. How How do these start to come together when you're working on one of the drawings? So the way that I typically will work is I, like I said, I use a sketchbook and sometimes I'll do like, I'll do thumbnails and I'll say, oh, I want something to happen in a specific area of a drawing, but I don't, I don't plan anything. So what I do is I just start drawing. And uh, recently I've been really interested in the idea of a panopticon. So I know that I want something that has, that everything has to come to a central focus. So that would be like the planning for a drawing, but it's not that I'm like making a panopticon. I'm interested in central focus. And from that, that's when things start to, to build. And I use a lot of the same, elements uh, sometimes i call them like orders like the greek orders i mean i'll use the same sort of structural things will happen multiple times in different drawings and they become you know bastardized over time or they become more specific or less specific with each drawing depending on what i need them for visually as i'm going i mean like today i'm working on a drawing and you know, there were some things that weren't working, so I erased them out, and they they changed. And I'm totally okay with doing that. It kind of makes me think about another aspect that you kind of brought up earlier in, in talking about space. You know, when I look at the the drawings, you know, they kind of start to become, I don't know, spatial in some, some regards, where there's areas that look like they're kind of popping forward, areas that look like they're kind of transparent, maybe just because of the 
the process that's involved. But is that also something that's kind of like a big component in terms of how you're going to make adjustments in terms of, I don't know, creating something that has more of like a dimensional feel? Yeah. I mean, I want to play with the idea of what our eye can see or what it senses. I think that's, it's an interesting, I think it's an interesting thing that can happen within the, within the drawing. And I think that that's something that I, I think at this point, I'm maybe not so conscious of it, but I think when I started making the construction drawings, which are the first series of these axonometric drawings, I was very specific about how things interlaid and like if it created, you know, certain textures or, or that sort of thing. And now, I mean, I'm still interested in that. I want it to seem like it's, a space, but then it's not a space that it's coming forward, but it's going back that this is a, in front of something, but it's not really, or, you know, there are different ways of doing that. And I think I've been uh, right now I'm doing drawings with markers, watercolor and, and value drawings, which I mean, I never thought I'd be doing value drawings again, but I am. So playing with, playing with the way that the, that media is laid onto the page also hasn't has uh, has an effect on the way that we see see these drawings and it's interesting that you kind of bring up materials a little bit because I, of course that becomes very interesting to me um I, obviously i would imagine that you're somewhat planning these out in terms of of the drawings and i guess maybe we can kind of think about oh gosh i'm gonna have to totally start over there um <laughs> but um I was curious, like, in terms of the materials, like, I mean, are you very specific down to, like, you know, hard and soft pencils, uh, kind of incorporating the two to kind of push the space? Or is it something where you've kind of, like, dealing with the way that the systems kind of, like, come together and areas will kind of seem to recede or overlap? Um, how how specific do you get in terms of the materials that you use? I mean, for the value drawings... Uh, for the Untitled series, I I just use ebony pencil. I use ebony pencil and I use a Draftmatic 7mm hard lead to do the drawing underneath. Um, I use that for every drawing that I make and then whatever happens on the surface changes. Uh, I also use different types of paper. If I know I'm going to do a watercolor paper, I use watercolor paper. If I know I'm going to do a marker drawing, I use watercolor paper. If I'm going to do a value drawing, I use uh, printmaking paper. Just because it, the way that the media is accepted onto the paper depends on the on the on the paper. And I guess because you just kind of brought up that series, the the Untitled series. Again, this is the I guess the main heading on your your website for for drawing. One of the things that I think is really interesting is kind of like also the softness that you kind of start to incorporate um, when you. I guess in, incorporate marker and then I think are some of them inked or are they all kind of like you said marker and then graphite yeah it's marker or ebony pencil I think what's currently on the website and I've um I've just started doing some watercolor tests with these drawings um none of those are on the site yet and, and maybe it's just because because it, it elicits that you know when I look at it like there's kind of like a softness in some of the you know, the kind of like vertical or horizontal kind of marks or diagonals, whatever. It, again, it doesn't seem like it's filled in solid. So there's also like, at least some areas aren't anyways, but that kind of softness is something that's kind of interesting as well. Um, and I guess also something that kind of gets, 
I don't know, related to kind of the more, I guess, value intensive kind of drawings of them too. So there's kind of like the, these subtle things going on. Um, is that, is that something that's conscious or is that something where you just start a new drawing or a new work? Like I want to try to incorporate this slightly differently or. Yeah. I mean, I think the other thing is that I, I, I make, I let the media do what the media is going to do. So like with the ebony pencil, I, I hate doing value drawings. I think it's one of the most tedious things that can ever happen to a person is making a, it's making a value drawing, but I like the effect of a value drawing. So I want to make value drawings, but I refuse to blend any of the value drawings. So what it is, is it's just ebony pencil on paper unblended because I, I don't want to blend it. And I think it also gives a different texture. If it's blended, it would be so much softer than it would be if it's not blended. And I think for me, that's interesting as a texture because it relates back to the real world, even though they don't, they don't look like the real world. It has this thing you know you can feel a building you can feel the rocks in the concrete or or whatever and the same thing with the markers you know if the the watercolor paper is textured so i can't i can't control the way that it lays on the paper i can go over it again but then it becomes darker and it looks weird so when i do the markers i do one pass and that's it so whatever hits the surface whatever collects in the tooth collects in the tooth whatever doesn't doesn't and that's it because i i like the way that the materials present themselves and i think it's something it's something that took me a while to be okay with because i think for a long time i wanted it to have this like perfect appearance and i think that it does something else when it isn't perfect it is a handmade it is a handmade drawing and it speaks to the fact that it's handmade if it isn't blended or if it isn't gone over 700 times with the marker or trying to control watercolor and make it not pool or, or, or those sorts of things. I think then the drawing would become something different if I was trying to control that. Well, and I think it becomes kind of interesting, too, in terms of a presentation, because I would imagine, you know, having like a, a room of these, they kind of appear to be really, really tight. And then as you kind of go up, you kind of see some of those irregularities that, that you're kind of just describing. Yeah, that's something that I'm, I'm always conscious of is the reading from far away and then the reading from close up, because I think the far away reading for any of my work would give you the impression that everything is is like perfect every i is dotted every t is crossed and there is not a single blemish on the page but when you get closer you can see that there's erasing there's smudges there's overdrawn lines there's marker that's bled into places where it shouldn't have bled into or the same thing with watercolor and i think that that's i think for a viewer and i think for me it becomes a richer drawing because of it otherwise i mean you might as well just have a computer make it I guess I was just looking at the drawings and trying to think about the way that they kind of relate to the paintings because the, the drawings look more spatial. And then most of the painting work seems to be about something else. And granted, if we kind of go back to the older stuff, like the, the facade ones that you were just mentioning, I'd imagine those were maybe some things that you were working on in school. But I'm kind of trying to, I don't know, see the relationships between your drawing work, which sounds like the main, you know, your main focus at this point. 
Yeah, so I mean, if you're looking at maybe the cityscape watercolors, uh, those are definitely super flat. And I think, I mean, I don't necessarily think about like, oh, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to make a flat watercolor or a flat painting. I think it's kind of hard to describe. Like for those specific works, I was really, I was flying a lot and I was, I was really noticing the landscape and the way that people build build on the landscape and then also the grid of New York city. And I was really drawn into Richard Diebenkorn's uh, works on paper that he was doing of of the ocean park series. And I, I, you know, not that I wanted to be Diebenkorn because I, I'm not, I'm definitely not as good as Richard Diebenkorn, but I think, you know, he was definitely, I mean, he was onto something. I mean, he made a gazillion of those things, but I was really interested in the way that we create these really inorganic buildings on the landscape. And I was, I was also looking at Google maps a lot and Google maps has like a, a bird's eye view. So they're somewhat like skewed, into a a weird perspective. But I think that for me, it was more about exploring what watercolor could do, but also flattening it into a map, a map that it doesn't make any sense because it's not a real place, but it has elements of real places on it. So it became flat because I was thinking about map making and creating this pretty awful city honestly i mean everything is so tight you can't really get through and then you know also like topography because i mean this gets like super inside i guess but like the colors the colors in those paintings i each of them would either have three or four colors you know like the albers thing make two look like three and all of that shit uh you know, like I was thinking about that and then I was thinking about, okay, well, if it's, you know, this lighter shade of purple, that would mean it's on the lowest level and then the darker it would get, it would become the higher levels or vice versa. So that's kind of the way that those came out. And I think every, I mean, everything is always really connected with the work that I'm making. It just, like I said earlier, you know, I, when I'm thinking about specific ideas, I really think about like what, what media does this need to be expressed in? And I could, I mean, I could make those as drawings, but I don't think they would be as interesting if they were value drawings or marker drawings as they are because they're watercolors. I think the watercolor does something else too, because again, I'm not trying to control what happens with the watercolor. It does what it's going to do. I can't, I can't make it look like a perfectly flat, surface it has you know it gets over pigmented in some areas or it gets lighter in other areas and i think that visually is compelling so i guess that's a roundabout answer you had talked about earlier um just kind of travel and being like in different places and the way that that kind of relates to your work you know i'm curious what that process is like in terms of finding these different vantage points or you know, different ways of, of seeing like a new set of work or a new uh, series that you want to start? Yeah. I mean, I think I'm not like constantly in a high rise or something, but I mean, you know, when you are, there's something about being in, you know, a penthouse or in a tall building and it's this, 
especially in New York, like everything is on a grid. So the way that you see the city from that space is really specific. It's, I feel like you don't get that anywhere else where you have the like compressed nature of New York where everything is so tight and you see it from that vantage point and it, it's, it's, I don't know. It's, it's hard to describe the feeling that I have. It's kind of, it's odd. It's an odd feeling to be able to see that much at one point. And I think, I mean, I read a lot and I look at a lot of architecture books and I, I read a lot of, I read this magazine called clog that does like specific issues on a specific type of architecture. And I'm interested in like utopian places. And, you know, there was a Corbusier show here not too long ago and like his idea of the city for 3 million and all of the ways that they would draw these things were always from this strange angle that is kind of like a bird's eye view, but it's not really, and it's kind of an architecture view, but it's not really. So it's like playing with the history of that type of representation, but also my lived experience of being in a plane or being in somebody's penthouse or, or whatever. I guess maybe to kind of segue to something else again, I, I hope that as people are, you know, of course, perusing your website and checking out, you know, what's going on there, they'll kind of notice that you also have a, a blog, and so as I'm doing that, too, I, I of course, noticed the uh, the photos from the penitentiary. And I think you might have mentioned that earlier. And so I, I'm curious, is something like that, that visit, I mean, is that something that's going to wind up leading into like a new series of work? Or is that something that you kind of store? I don't know. Talk, maybe talk a little bit about that for a second. Sure. So basically, the Untitled series is basically all based on prisons, prisons and utopian architecture. So I went to Eastern State in Philadelphia, and I had been to Alcatraz, I think, two years prior to that. And I've been doing a lot of reading about prisons. Like I said, there's this magazine called Clog that did an issue on prisons. And I went to a talk that they had at City College. Um, I'm also rereading Discipline and Punish by Foucault. And I just... Prisons are a really interesting place, I think, because there's there's so much metaphor about power structures and the will to power and the way that we punish and architecture becomes the instrument for that punishment. And Eastern State is really interesting because it was meant as solitary confinement all the time the people that were there would be in solitary the entire term of their prison. They were never to get out of their cell and they worked in their cell and they had like a small yard on the backside of their cell. As we know, like solitary confinement, I think after 20, I think after 48 hours is typically when somebody has a psychotic break. So all of those sorts of things, not that I'm drawing psychotic breaks, but all of those things, like the way that people, how we punish each other and how we create places for punishment and the way that, you know, this utopian idea of a city of modernism, you know, with these grand cities and these huge projects like Pruitt-Igo or the Unité de Habitación or these types of things, you know, yeah, like the Unité de Habitación is a great thing because there's only one of them in Marseille. 
But imagine if all of Marseille was the Unité de Habitation, you know, there was 30 of them. There's this idea of conforming and creating these things that are exactly the same. And that's what I'm interested in with this Untitled series, is creating these fake cities that, again, have these these buildings that become a specific order and there are, you know, 10 of them. And then there are these multiple towers. So, I mean, I'm creating like a narrative in my mind when I make them that what's happening in the tower is different than what's happening on these lower level, more or less project buildings, or I don't want to really call them projects because that has like a totally different social and, you know, racial thing component to it but uh, I'll call them like uh, structures or housing buildings the untitled series is really specifically about prisons and utopianism again it just reminds me of you know why you know I find landscape so interesting especially now is the way that it affects us and even in the whole podcast just all these different ways that we're affected by our surroundings and you know how you know, things like buildings are specifically can be designed to have certain effects um, and they might have, you know, a psychological impact. Again, that's something that just becomes really interesting, like especially like in a, in a day where, you know, you have have so many people that are stuck on phones and kind of like in this digital realm it becomes really interesting to think about, you know, how these these environments affect us, you know? Absolutely. I think I think the other thing for me is. I'm taking things that more or less exist in the real world. So originally they were drawn by architects, then they were built, then I'm taking them and I'm drawing them and then I'm changing them and drawing them again. So it's like this process of physical to not physical from idea to real to idea again. So it's, you know, I, I, I mean, I find it to be this play on a lot of different things that happen in my daily life. And like you said, everyone is so concerned with the digital realm. Uh, For me, I mean, obviously everyone has a cell phone, but I'm more interested in, in seeing where I am in, in the world. And that's, I mean, maybe it's just being an artist. I don't know. What kind of things are in the works in terms of uh, your artwork and and exhibitions? Are there all sorts of things uh, hitting off that you're getting prepared for? I will be in a group show uh, this week at my gallery in Chelsea opening Thursday night called Opus Unum uh, with 10 other artists that are represented by the gallery. And then I, I'm going to be a guest artist at Pratt for a senior, senior thesis class um, in a couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean, right now I'm just trying to focus on making making some work. I've been pretty busy with other things, so that's that's the main focus right now. I forgot I was going to ask you that, right? You have so many different things going on. One of the other things that we hadn't mentioned is uh, uh, the Coastal Post, which is essentially like studio visits and exhibition reviews. Could you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So I had a, a really good friend that I went to undergrad with named Francesca Cazone. Mm-hmm. Uh, she went to graduate school at CCA in San Francisco, and I went to graduate school at Pratt. And we were talking, she took a year off and then she went. So I was done with graduate school and she was in graduate school. And when she finished, she was like, it's so weird being out because it's pretty much like, thanks for the money. 
by. And that was, that was the same feeling that I had. I mean, obviously you still talked with your friends from school, but there was like no other outside support for, for emerging young artists. And there was no conversation happening about, about what they were doing in their studio or, or any of that sort of thing. So she and I had kind of talked about this and I had proposed, you know, maybe we should start a blog about just doing studio visits with, with friends and, you know, people that have, we've gone to residencies with or, 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 or any of those things. So we started it on a Tumblr and I think we moved the, the coastal post to a website about six or seven months ago. And now we just expanded and we've, um, we've welcomed a new editor for a, a section called new contemporaries, which will be more, curators and critics and art historians um, doing like reviews or profiles uh, or papers about emerging artists and, and the contemporary art world. And so there are excellent things about the digital age, right? Um, <laughs> and something that I think, you know, it seems to come across really well in terms of the, the artists in, in the studio visits or again, there's a lot of uh, lovely pictures and everything, everything like that, but there's also a lot of text and, ideas kind of in terms of exploring the artist studio and kind of having that as opposed to, you know, maybe the types of things that you kind of come to see from social media is like a, you know, a picture and then, you know, maybe like a title, you know? So I I like the way that it kind of unpacks that, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, and we're also really interested in things that are going on across the country and not just specifically in Los Angeles or San Francisco and New York, because the art world exists in places other than other than those three places. So, you know, for me, it's good that we have a co- correspondent that works in Milwaukee and we have one that works in Oklahoma City and we have one that splits her time between New York and Miami. And so I think it creates a richer, a richer view of people that are considered emerging artists, whatever that title means, that they're making stuff all over the country. And I think that's another really big focus of the site is that we're not just focused on the big cities. It's interesting to hear you say that, you know, someone living in New York and, you know, having um, experiences where you can, you know, much easier kind of attend like big shows and um, have all these other artists that you can kind of respond with. Again, it's still interesting to have that, um, I don't know, like that desire to have that kind of conversation in a place where I would think it would be, I don't know, super easy to kind of do that. So I don't know, could you, I don't know if there's something to unpack there, but that's just an interesting idea to me. The New York art world is a very interesting place. And I think that there are a lot of really great things about the New York art world. But I think the other side of it is a lot of people's concern is their work and only their work. So the conversation becomes very stilted because it's, what are you doing right now? Oh, where are you showing? Oh, did you hear about this? Or, you know, it just becomes like, it just becomes very, I don't know how to describe it. It's like tedious in a lot of ways. And I think that that, that's something I'm trying to avoid with the Coastal Post is really talking about the art that is being made in a studio um, rather than, Oh, where are you showing what, you know, like how much do you sell that for? Like that shit I don't care about. 
I care about what are you what are you reading? Why are you reading that? This is what you're making. Is it affecting because is it affected by what you're reading or what you're seeing or what you're doing? And I think that that's something, you know, that was something that was great about graduate school is it was really about the artist in the studio for me specific at Pratt. It's very much like, okay, we'll see you once a week. Otherwise, you're just like in your studio the whole time. And so to have a conversation and kind of demystify the idea of a studio and doing a studio visit is another part of what what we're trying to do on the Coastal Post is, you know, it's not this like scary place and it's not like these genius people that don't do anything but sit in their studio. I mean, people talk about going to movies or plays or whatever, and all of those sorts of things affect your studio time. I mean, there are days that I, I mean, I haven't worked in my studio in two weeks, but I don't, I count like going to a museum or going to see shows as part of studio time or talking, having conversations about things, you know, it's, I think that's all part of, part of the spirit of what the Coastal Post is. I don't know that it, it does all of those things, but that's, you know, that's the spirit in which it's been created. Yeah. It's, it's funny. Cause you know, you, you, all of those things just kind of conjured up those messages of, you know, graduate school where you just hear endlessly, like, this is going to be the last time you're going to be, you know, stuck in a confined space with all these artists working. And I guess in some ways it really is like, just like a idealistic kind of like playground, you know, just to kind of be able to, I don't know, almost spend all your time kind of immersed in that. And so I think that's something that's very interesting to kind of keep, keep going with, you know, I, I think that again, most of the artists that I, I think are the most interesting are the artists that have been, you know, making work for 50 years. And you kind of think about all the challenges you know, that arise from that and to, especially to be kind of like continuing something and not just kind of have it be like a, I don't know, like an exercise, like you're saying, almost like in a way of like, just kind of saying, you know, what you're doing, where it's showing, you know, like that process of kind of trying to expand what you know and, you know, develop something. I don't know. It takes, it takes years and years. And it's again, a very interesting and um, important conversation, I think. Totally. Absolutely. Um, well, again, I, I thank you so much for taking the time. It's been uh, a pleasure talking to you about the work and, and about uh, the Coastal Post. So, Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks once again to Nick for joining us. Please go check out his website, nicknaybor.com, and that group show that he described at Opus Projects in Chelsea is called Opus Unum, and the group show runs from now until November 21st, so please check it out. You'll also want to visit The Coastal Post. Again, great resource for finding out about new emerging artists, great studio visits, so check that out as well. And as we wrap up another episode, we just want to remind new listeners, check out all the archives. Again, there are plenty of episodes to listen to on Studio Break. Each of them have images of the work, links to websites, and you can easily access it through the archive feature on the left sidebar. Go month by month. Check out all the podcasts that you missed. Or you could easily click that iTunes button, go straight there, subscribe to the podcast, and you can scroll back and check out other episodes that you might have missed. Maybe there's some familiar names in the archives. Who knows? So please go ahead and check it out. 
course, if you want to help us out, we really appreciate it when people rate and leave comments in iTunes. Again, it helps others from around the globe find this podcast just like you found it. Of course, word of mouth is also very helpful, so we appreciate you letting others know about Studio Break, so please help us out there as well. Once again, we are in a variety of social media formats, so please go to Facebook and like our page. Again, we provide updates of new guests, new show announcements, as well as exhibition opportunities. You can also follow our Tumblr account at studio-break.tumblr. And then, of course, last but not least, send all your tweets, your artwork, anything cool to at Studio Break on Twitter. So please hit us up there. As always, I want to thank Skylar Mail for providing the music to Studio Break. You can check out his artwork at SkylarMail.com. If you're interested in my artwork, you can check it out at DavidLinaway.com. And I actually have a solo exhibition of about 50 paintings, three different bodies of work, that is up at the Blandon Art Museum in Fort Dodge, Iowa. Again, the opening is October 10th from uh, 3 to 5 p.m., and the show is up through January 23rd. So if you happen to be driving through Iowa and want to check out some artwork, please go ahead and pay it a visit. You can also follow me at David Linaway on Twitter, so please say hello there as well as Facebook if you want. Again, plenty of ways to get in touch And it's usually interesting to meet some new artists. So thanks again for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. We'll talk to you real soon.